Hello, hello. We are live. It is Friday, April 10th. April 10th, 2020. Yes, indeed. Um, sorry for being late. I know I said it was going to be at 1.15, but uh, got a little bit distracted, had a busy morning, and uh, had had to go run to kind of get some things uh, sorted out. And uh, But we're here. We're ready to answer some questions. Uh, I do have some that came in this week. What's up, Todd? Thanks for being here. Uh, we're live on Facebook. We're live on Instagram. So feel free to drop in some questions if you, anything comes up while we're chatting today. Uh, maybe last week we had a surprise guest jump on the stream, so we'll see what happens today. You never know. And uh, so I'm just really, really glad to be back and doing this. Hope everyone's staying healthy, staying uh, productive, or taking it easy, whatever you need to be doing right now. I know everybody has, <clears throat> you know, different levels of... Uh, you know, self-care that they need to take during this time. But again, just feel free to drop in some any live questions here on Instagram, here on Facebook. Otherwise, I'm going to pull up some of the questions that came in uh, from yesterday. I usually ask ahead of time on uh, Instagram for some questions. So feel free to look out for those each and every week. You know, something I'm pretty impressed by um, and I just realized that uh, I forgot to send them to myself, but that's all right. We'll, we'll be fine. I can find them uh, here on my phone. But uh, something that I'm always impressed by is the amount of times that people will uh, troll your page when you ask for questions. There's an unprecedented amount of uh, Instagram trolls sending their, sending their stuff. Hi, follow me, all of this kind of stuff. Uh, but I'll start with a, qu a question from uh, one of our UNT students. I know he sent this in. He asked, uh, what are some essential ballads? Hey, Steve, thanks for watching from Germany. Appreciate that. Uh, he said, what are some essential ballads? And uh, oh, here's the questions. Amazing. Uh, so he said, what are some essential ballads that you can play? Uh, and so for me, I mean, there's a lot of ballads. Or I guess this is actually not from Christopher. This is what are ballads you think everybody should know. Uh, I think ballads you should know are definitely Body and Soul. You got to know that. The first ballad I ever learned was In a Sentimental Mood. Um, I mean, there's so many good ballads. You can't. I can't say what you should or shouldn't know, but those ones you definitely should know. Lover Man is a popular one to know. Uh, I'm going to forget a ton because I'm not playing i don't have my trombone in my hand and thinking about tunes right at this very moment i love playing billy strayhorn ballads i like flowers i love something um you can see that on a couple of recordings that i've made um i like um i recorded this with chris ziemba um the man i love my one and only love there's so many good ballads i, can, I don't necessarily know that i can recommend anything other than those i mean um billy strayhorn lush life is a beautiful ballad i'm just listing tunes right now but i think Definitely, you can't be a jazz musician and not know Body and Soul. That's one. And uh, that's a pretty much a go-to for any anyone and everyone, I think. But um, I'll think of more ballads as we go along. But uh, that was a good one. Uh, let's see here. I saw there was a question from Chris Bauer, I thought. Yeah, oh, he said, looks good. I see. I thought he asked this very thoughtful question. Uh, here we go. There's another question from Lisa MBTS. She says, what do you think about when you improvise? That's a good question. Uh, I think that's a, an important question that evolves over time as an improviser. And, and Hey, Stephen Feifke. How are you doing, man? Uh, he says, what do you think about when you improvise? Stephen didn't say that. But I think about this question that I pose to my students often when I'm teaching. I say, 
you know, what does the music need right now? And did I always think like that? No, of course not. That's not the question I could even ask myself until more recently, until maybe grad school or after grad school. Um, that question uh, definitely is one that takes a prerequisite knowledge of the tune, a prerequisite knowledge of jazz language and jazz vocabulary, and knowledge of key centers and voicings and all of the stuff that we teach as the nuts and bolts of jazz has to be that prerequisite to being able to you know think about or or realistically um, answer a question like that what does the music need right now and so that could take the form of a lot of things it could be what dynamic do i need to be playing i mean like how in or out should i be playing right now um, what energy should i be playing with right now uh, what um, timbre should I be playing with? What Which set of like jazz language should I be using? Is it like a more blues inspired kind of approach? Is it like a post train kind of free, you know, kind of intense vibe? Uh, am I listening to the bass? Am I listening to the drums? You know, I either am keying in on the bass because the bass is giving us time and harmony and uh, or I'm thinking into the, the ride symbol of the drummer because I want to lock right in with their concept of the swing because every drummer has a little bit con different concept of swing you know if you listen re listen really carefully there's a difference in the skip beat for sure there's a difference in the drive of the quarter notes and by the skip beat I mean dang gadang 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 wherever I place it is different than you know the drummers that I'm playing with will place it so it's just kind of all over the place uh, very, very subtly. I mean, these are subtle, like conceptual ideas that we're dealing with here. But um, I think that uh, listening for those two things that what I'm listening to, and then on top of those two things, that question that I said, what does the music need right now? Because oftentimes we come in with an agenda of like, I'm going to play this lick, or I'm going to play this phrase, or I'm going to show people what I've been practicing, or I've been doing this or that or the other thing. And um, it just doesn't always translate to what's actually happening in real time. So I think it's important to uh, actually try to listen to the music and react and play in the moment. That's what I think is most important. Listening, playing with the band, playing with the music that's happening at that moment. So that's what I think about when I'm improvising. What's the drummer doing? What's the bass player doing? How can I fit in? And getting all of that other knowledge, the tune, the harmony, what should, with what notes I should be playing, all that stuff should be uh, second nature, theoretically. Uh, and even then, even if I'm sight reading a tune, I'm still um, trying to get to that level of improvisational thought and whatever, um, right from the bat, right from the get-go. I don't want to have to um, go back later and regret. You know, I'm always thinking about the music, and especially lately, especially more recently, maybe post-grad school. That's like the essential thing that I'm thinking about. What does the music need right now? See a bunch of people here. Thanks for joining. What's up, Clovis? Hope you're doing well, man. Hope New York treating you, treating you nicely. Uh, I've got some more questions here. I think a new one just came in. Uh, let's see. From story. I don't know. There's nothing there. Okay, let's close that. All right, so some more questions. There was one from Stephen. Stephen did the question. This is really uh, nice. He says, what do you listen to most in a live performance yourself, the pianist, the bassist? Obviously you, the pianist, Stephen. Uh, I'm always listening. No, I think I kind of addressed that just a second, a second ago. Um, what I'm listening for is uh, a combination of how I can fit into the rhythm section and how I can react and feeling 
how I can fit into the music, listening closely, like what did the last soloist do? How can I offer something similar or different? How can I be playing in the language of the pianist that's playing? You know, you can't always force your agenda. I mean, you can try, but it's only going to be so successful for so long. Um, at least in my experience, you kind of need to go with what's happening overall, not like specifically like, oh, he played this voicing, I have to play this vocabulary, but it has to be you know, overall, a sense of unity, a sense of coming together, a sense of everyone playing together. And if you're not playing together, what's the point, you know? Uh, and I think like, why why play with other musicians if you're just gonna practice or why play with other musicians if you're just gonna um, not listen to them? I don't know. And so playing music with other people is the chance to listen and react and, you know, get out of sight of your own head. You know, that's what I think. And then you can shed all the other stuff with I Real B when you don't have any other people to get to listen to and get annoyed with you. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't know. That's just how I think about it. Uh, and I see Zane agrees. Thanks, Zane. Thanks for being here, Zane. Um, some more questions. Let's see. This was an interesting one. Uh, it's a little bit trombone nerdy, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. He said, uh, this is from Kai BC. Uh, he says, does mouthpiece placement on the mouth oh sorry does mouth placement on the mouthpiece matter in terms of tone and range uh it can and where you place the mouth on the mouthpiece is going to determine the airstream and it's going to determine um wh which direction the stream goes up or down and it's going to determine the speed of the air and it's going to determine like how flexible you can be there's plenty of great examples on both sides of the spectrum of people that place it really high and place it, place it really low. You know, I aim, I aim for two thirds and one third high to low. Um, ultimately, I think it's really important to learn the fundamentals of how these things work, like embouchure and brass playing and all this kind of stuff. I'm not a super duper expert. I would never say I'm an expert of embouchure. But what I do know is that I think everyone needs to kind of customize that knowledge to meet their own needs. And I don't think there's a one size fits all situation because there's so many great success stories of people from all different sides of the spectrum in terms of like how their how their face works and how their chops work so I, I i try to work with students in terms of making it be comfortable in terms of making it be efficient and effective and it not hurting them as long as it's not hurting them as long as it's not preventing them from do, doing things that they want to be doing uh, i think it's okay uh, that's probably an unpopular belief, but that's what I believe. I think if you contort yourself into an unnatural position, you're going to cause uh, more problems. Hey, Dwayne, thanks for being here. Thanks for saying hi. Uh, but that's what I think about in terms of mouthpiece placement. Uh, and, and I know that's kind of uh, probably not super popular in terms of the um, answer there. But um, let's see, how do I do this? screwing things up here. So please drop in some questions. There's one over here um, from Peter. Uh, I'll get to it in a second. And feel free on Instagram if you guys have questions, drop them in. Uh, they'll pop up in my little question stream here. I appreciate everybody being here. It's Friday, April 10th. I'm really excited uh, in terms of uh, some projects I've been working on. I'll give you a little preview. I arranged this tune. Uh, I'll be able to read it. I'm just going to flash it on the screen. I did a little eight trombone arrangement of this tune, one of my favorites uh, from, from a long time ago. Uh, how's it going for Argentina? Fluck online. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for being here. Um, 
I'm working on a trombone arrangement of that tune, that Kenny Garrett tune that I just flashed up on the screen, which should be fun. I'm going to try to get that recorded this week. I uh, hope you guys are working on something that brings you guys a little bit of joy and excitement. Uh, but I'm going to get to this question here from Peter. Uh, oh, he's, his, he goes by PT on Instagram if you want to follow him. Uh, do, do, no, I do not speak Portuguese. Sorry. Sorry. Um, wish, I, wish I could. Maybe use Google Translate. Okay, so Peter says, could you briefly discuss the process of recording an album, including rough estimates of time for each stage as well as cost? Mm, yes, I can do that. This might be a little bit of a long answer. Um, let's see. Dwayne, I'm going to do Dwayne's question because this is a long one, and I'll come back to it. Uh, Dwayne says, would you have a Bach Pro or a King 2B Wrath? Are you looking to buy a horn? Because no, I don't have any of those. I play a King 3B Plus, which is like a medium bore, 525 bore instrument. Um, so no, I don't have any of those. I'm not a horn collector. I don't have horns to buy and sell. I'm sorry. Uh, okay, so this question, I'll try to answer it as succinctly as I can uh, and give some ranges for these kind of things. Um, he said, okay, so process of recording an album well the first thing to do is to get some music together and get a concept together and get a band together which is uh, easier said than done sometimes you know you have to have a good idea of uh, some music that you can record maybe an idea because the most important thing once you get it all out into the world is coming up with a story what's the angle what's the story uh, that we can tell with the music uh, what's the story that we can share uh, with, with the writers, the jazz writers, the jazz radio, uh, all those people, the, the people that listen, that are fans, you know, like what is the story of the album? Why are you recording standards? Why are you doing originals? So thinking about that why or thinking of a way to craft a story that goes along with the tunes on the record is really important. So, so if you can... Um, if, you, if you can think about it from the beginning, it's going to be best. And it could be... It could be months or weeks or days of thinking about that. It could be something that you do after the fact. You don't necessarily have to have it all planned out uh, beforehand, at least in my experience. Um, but having a strong concept is really the uh, an important part of having a really strong recording at the end, or a strong album presentation, rather. Um, so that could be that. I like to record all of the music in one day. I don't think it's productive to waste a lot of time in the studio. I think that first takes are often the best takes. I am also a person that's okay with mistakes and I like the rawness of that. I like uh, things to feel like how they are when someone's playing them. Meaning if it's hard, I'm okay with it feeling hard. Um, obviously we want it to feel easy and flow and all that. And those are ideals, but like, you know, I want it to feel like it's supposed to feel like. So uh, if there's a, a couple of things, and there's a lot of ways to fix things uh, in the mixing process. So in the tracking day, uh, I like to have a producer there. I had Ryan Truesdell on a couple weeks ago, and we talked a lot about production. You can find that on YouTube if you want to go and find that video. Uh, we talked about production, what does a jazz producer do, and all this kind of stuff. Um, so there's that side of it, and then also the side of it that is... Um, so anyway, sorry, I'm getting distracted because I'm getting going down these different rabbit holes because this question is a little bit multifaceted. Um, so let's see. So the studio costs like probably, I don't know, 
what, what it costs where you are in New York. It's like 12 to 1500 bucks for the day in the studio, which is like 10 hours. And then you're going to pay your musicians anywhere from, I don't know, 500 to $1,000 a day. Uh, or maybe you have friends that are doing you a favor, so you, they do it for less. You know, um, I think the official, I forget the exact number, but the union rate is somewhere around $600 for the day with like two, three-hour sessions and breaks uh, in terms of like the AFM union contract. Somebody else might be able to correct me on that, but it's somewhere around there. Maybe it's $700 for those two, two sessions. I forget exactly, but that's for like a big label recording. Um, so it can kind of range. I think everybody has to do their own research in terms of talking to their friends, talking to the people that are going to be on the album, come to and coming to a agreement about what that's going to look like. Uh, other things to think about that you got to pay for it might be the producer, it might be uh, the piano tuning. Sometimes that often gets uh, forgotten about, and that's like maybe a hundred bucks or two hundred bucks somewhere in there. And any instrument rentals for the day, maybe lunch, um, you know, all that stuff. Uh, just incidentals being it's nice for people to have snacks during the recording session all these little things uh, that they kind of add up but important to think about you want people to be comfortable and have a good time at your session to make the best music um, that you can so all of those things so I'm not keeping a running tally here yet but you can kind of keep track of that on your own and then I'm a little bit unlike other people in that I like to try to move quickly uh, so I do all my mixing generally in one day. I do mastering generally um, either on another day and then maybe some fix-ups. So maybe three total days mixing, mastering, if that, maybe two, like one full day and two half days. You can spend weeks and weeks and weeks. You know, certain people, I won't like name any names, but spend like weeks and weeks mixing and mixing and remixing and all of this kind of thing. But <clears throat> my motto is just you got to keep moving and that you're going to make it sound as best as you can. I mean, for me, I'm making an acoustic jazz record too, so I want it to sound like it's what it sounds like during a concert. So as long as all the instruments are playing the right notes and sound like the instruments, to me, that's a successful recording session. So all that said and done, um, you know, might be, I don't know, maybe a hundred bucks an hour. So you're looking at 20 hours, maybe 15 to 20 hours uh, of mixing and mastering. <laughs> Tony Musico's here, and he wants to talk about Steve Teray. I love Steve Teray. Uh, right on. Um, where were we? So we did that, and then you got to get album artwork. You got to get uh, a publicist. If you're going to get it, you're going to get a radio promoter. So album art might cost you somewhere between five hundred and a thousand. Printing a thousand discs is around twelve hundred bucks. I know all this, if you don't know, because I also own and run a record label. That's why I can just kind of spit off these random figures uh, with some kind of authority. Um, a publicist, generally a ballpark is going to be a thousand bucks a month plus expenses. That's like mailing expenses, writing expenses, various things. So you're looking at somewhere around $5,000 for a campaign for radio and maybe around 5000 for a campaign uh, for print. So you get both of those together. If you really want to go big, that's 10000 plus however much you paid your musicians, plus the studio, plus the mixing and mastering, plus the artwork, plus the printing. So it can add up. Uh, what my one of my first teachers, Clay Jenkins at Eastman, said something like it took ten grand to make a record. And I was like, what? That's no way. You can do it for less. And you can do it for less. But if you want to um, take advantage of all of the possible opportunities uh, within that, that's definitely something you'll have to look into. Um, so 
um, that's that. Hopefully, Peter, that answered your question. Feel free to follow up uh, if I didn't answer something that you actually wanted me to answer and I kind of maybe glossed over it a little bit. But I see, I see a, another question here uh, from DoodooBone23. He says, good afternoon. How has the music class dealt with the pandec pandemic in your country? Has the government given any assistance? Um, well, <laughs> they're trying to. Um, musicians are doing a lot of um, co online concerts. They're doing a lot of online teaching. You know, people are definitely connecting more with the online teaching thing and trying to make that happen. In terms of like government intervention, there's a lot of private foundations that are doing fundraisers and giving like micro grants as far as I see them. They're giving um, like $500 grants, $1,000 grants for people that are really in trouble. Uh, kind of for the average musician, I think it's maybe a little bit difficult to get those things. It's ten, I, I feel like it's going more towards people that are really in extraordinary circumstances, which is good. It should, and they should um, definitely be getting assistance. And I'm not trying to say that they shouldn't be. I'm just saying that, um, you know, I've been extremely fortunate that I teach at a university and our classes have continued. Uh, <clears throat> they've moved online, but they're continuing. And so, you know, all is good uh, as from, from that angle of things. Um, but I think uh, more, uh, there's a lot of resources. I posted some, a huge list of resources uh, for US-based musicians on the Outside In Music page, which is the label that I run. Uh, it says like COVID-19 resources or something. And that was a link to, uh, I think maybe the AFM, which is the Musicians Union. They sent out like a big list of items. So maybe check that one. And, um, and that should give you some more uh, specific advice, but uh, I hope everything's going well wherever you are. Do do whether you're in Brazil or in Portugal. Hope everything's cool with you and what you're what you're doing. So uh, I see some more questions coming in on Facebook. I'm just going to switch over here real quick. Um, let's see. P from Peter, he's following up. Just wanted the general idea of what to expect. Okay, cool. Yeah, well, let me know if you have any other specific questions. But uh, I'm glad that kind of gave you an overview of everything. Um, I don't think I really missed anything other than if you're going to um, pay for distribution. If you don't find a label to help you, you might have to pay for distribution, meaning CD Baby or DistroKid or one of those things. Um, so yeah, uh, give me one second. I just got to pause this camera here. Okay. Um, so okay, the next question is coming in from Joe Jackson. Hey Joe, how are you, man? Uh, he says, so during this crisis, people collaborating on projects one at a time has become popular. If we're talking about big band, what do you think a good order of laydown is by section and then within the trombone section, within the section? Bass bone first, lead, then bass, then section. Um, I, I mean, you, I could see it from, you know, multiple angles. I mean, you could do it from the bottom up. I think the most important thing is to have either like a click track or a drum track that everybody is playing to because the most important thing is that all the rhythms are going to be tight and it's going to be quant you know not quantized but accurate you know so in terms of the pitch i mean you can get away with tuning things if you have to since everybody's in their own little world you know their own little video world so you can extract the audio and then you can fix whatever needs to get fixed so i think that um you can get away with any order really. What I would do is I would send it out to all the people at the same time and, and mix it in the order that they send it back to me because I'm more of a realist in how how things go. And so, you know, 
if the bass trombone sends me something last and he's super sharp, I'm just going to tune him with the auto-tune. Honestly, that's what I would do. Uh, because I want to get it out, you know? I'm not going to fuss around, because it's never going to be as good with these remote collaborations as if everyone's in the studio and everyone has the best microphones, playing in person, can tune in person, phrase in person, uh, all that thing, all that stuff. But if you want some kind of um, stylistic guide for them to play along with, I would send at least like a scratch track and they can play along with you, you know, like you could, you could say like, oh, I'm going to record bass. I'm going to go from the bottom up, but I'm going to send the lead trombone part so they can at least follow and then have the lead trombone play it again with everybody else. And there's a lot of ways you could do it. Um, a friend of mine, Chad Lefkowitz Brown, did a whole big band that way. And I don't know if they did it, what order they did it in. Maybe one of my friends could chime in and let us know in a comment. They can probably tell us that we're in the video. Or Chad, maybe Chad will uh, let us know. But um, so you could do it in any way, Joe. I think thinking that it needs to be in a specific way, I don't think it matters. I think if you have one person leading the way with the kind of phrasing, which is probably you, even if you're not playing lead or bass, you probably want to. Uh, if you're running it, you want to not enforce, but show people what the phrasing should be, or you want it to be on that. So that's what I would do. Hope that makes sense. Um, but you could do it a lot of ways. I don't think it has to be any particular way. All right, so feel free to drop in any last-minute questions here on the stream. I uh, appreciate you all being here live. I uh, hope everyone's doing well. Uh, if you're on Instagram right now, I'm about to swipe away for just a second because there's a few more questions that are uh, sitting on a screenshot. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go look at that really quick so that I can see it. Oh, wait, I can just do this. Uh, I think it's this one. Yes. Let's see. There it is. So you can even see it. What are bad do you think ever should know? Check out my new post. See, I told you. Uh, <laughs> shall we follow each other? Maybe that was all of them. And just tongue, just mouthpiece placement. Placement. Yeah, that was that. We did that. Ah, Kaibizi said, "What is one thing you wish you knew before becoming a freelance trombonist?" See, I knew there was one more question that I hadn't got to that came in beforehand. So, um, wait. What was that question again? <laughs> One thing you wish you knew before becoming a freelance trombonist. Ah, yes. So one thing that I wish I knew before becoming a freelance trombonist. Uh, Alex, I see your question, and we'll come. We'll circle back around to it. Um, is I wish that I knew I didn't have to say yes to everything, and that I could uh, curate a little more of the things that I said yes to, and I didn't need to fill up every minute of every day uh, with playing a million different gigs of all sorts. Don't get me wrong, I think it's really important for a period of your life to say yes to everything, and I think you should try to do as many different things. Musically speaking, like as a freelancer, you have to be musically diverse and be able to do everything, anything, um, but to be a little bit more, uh, have a little idea that I needed some self time, some self care from the beginning and not just pushing myself to do everything that I wanted to do along with everything that everybody else wanted me to do uh, the whole time. I mean, uh, you know, there was many, many, many times of doing a bunch of gigs that I probably could have said no to, but I didn't. Um, and I guess just knowing that you have to at some point diverge from being just quote unquote a freelance trombonist if you want to make a career as like an artist, um, something like that, you know. Uh, I think you have to make that decision. You have to kind of move in a direction. It doesn't have to be a, spe you know, a specific 
direction. Like I'm not saying cut out all the classical gigs or cut out all the jazz gigs or all the whatever party band gigs. I'm just saying that there's a time in your life for, for everything. And uh, you just have to kind of decide at some point to, to make moves, you know? And so I wish I had known that it was okay to say no earlier on, I guess is the short answer to that question. Uh, Matthew Golombiski left a night. He just said, how nice, how good looking I am. Why, thank you. Uh, I think he's silly, though. Uh, Matthew's a great um, bass player down in Argentina uh, from Chicago. He did all the play-alongs, actually, from the Get, the get Ready thing that I did uh, yesterday, the stream. So if you want to check out Matthew, he makes a lot of really cool, interesting music. Tomorrow Music Orchestra is, was, is his project, and they make a lot of cool stuff. We got a record coming out, I don't know, a couple months that we, we did last summer. So we'll, we'll check in on that soon. But um, let's see. Okay, so there's a question from Alex. And I want to get to this question. He says, how old were you when you released your first record? I believe it was Exposition. Yes, that's correct. And how did you get yourself to feel comfortable with releasing your music into the world for the first time on CD? Okay, so Exposition came out in January of 2013, and yes, that was my first record. Um, we, so 2013, I was born in 88. So how old was I? <laughs> Can't do math. Uh, 88, 98, 2008 plus five years, so I was 25, I guess. And how did I get to the point? Well, I tell people this story sometimes in master classes um, that I was coming up to the end of my time at Juilliard in grad school. I finished uh, grad school in 2012, and we actually recorded that record in between the last day of class and graduation. Uh, There's like a week in, in between there, and so during that time we, we recorded the album. and. I kind of freaked out in the in the six months before, kind of like, what am I going to do? I'm in New York. I'm starting to play gigs, but school is about to end. I don't know what I'm going to do to pay my rent. And what should I do? I should make a record. Why? Because I had a band and I knew it was going to be really difficult to keep a band together after school was done. Uh, most of the band, most of the band, we were together in a combo class. And so we were playing together a lot and I wanted to take advantage of that opportunity. Um, so I decided to record it and try to go through that process because I, I don't know, you just, I've always known that it was going to take a longer time. You know, it wasn't just going to be like one record. You know, I've been saying this in some of the master's classes I get, did for this cast of characters tour um, leading up to the, the rest of it getting canceled. You know, I was doing, I was telling people the stories like, yeah, I said I was going to do five records in five years and I ended up doing five records in uh, seven years. So I almost hit my my goal, but I knew that it was like when I go into it, I was going to think about it from a long-term perspective and trying to build something rather than just like, I'm going to put out this record and then everybody's going to know who I am and I'm going to do a, lot of, a bunch of stuff. I put out that first record exposition and almost nothing happened. You know, it was just a document. It was there. You know, it was the first and then we moved on. We moved, you know, I wrote more music for the band. We weren't playing all that much a couple times a year, you know, but I was diligently trying to write music and get it out there. Um, the first publicist I hired wasn't super successful. You know, we didn't get too much going. He kind of laid the groundwork for future uh, until I found a really great publicist that I still love to use. Her name's Ann Braithwaite. She's fantastic. I'd love to get her on sometime to answer some questions about publicity, maybe uh, for the Outside In channel. But um, 
so how did, I guess the second part of the question is like, how did you feel comfortable? And I don't think I did feel comfortable and I don't know that I still feel comfortable putting my stuff out, but I know that it's what I want to do and I have to do it. And, um, the question, not question, but the statement that I say is, you know, just like, it's not for everyone. What I make is not for everyone. You know, it's not swing dance jazz. It's not jazz and swing music you know it's original music it's for people that like things coming out of that tradition in in jazz you know it's swinging elements has non-swinging elements it has you know it's not just one thing unfortunately so it's a little hard to pin down which is hard for people usually um but then i also like to play free weird music sometimes and so there's some of those things and I want the music to go in the direction it goes and I want the music to feature the musicians and I want the music to allow the musicians to play what they want to play not what I want them to play uh, so all of those things so how do I feel comfortable I just number one I'm not gonna feel comfortable uh, and you just have to decide not to care what everyone else thinks because if you care what they think you're never gonna put your own stuff out there into the world you'll just keep on going uh, in a circle I'm like, oh, I can't do it I don't have anything to say I don't have a well you always have something to say how deep of a thing you have to say changes over time. And uh, I don't know that I have anything particularly profound to say, but I have music that goes through my brain and that uh, I, I want to share. So I have to share it because if I don't share it, then I'm not going to build anything. I'm not going to build to a place where I have even more stuff to share. So I think it's a process. I think you have to put stuff out uh, constantly. And now it's easier than ever. You can make videos, you can stream your concerts, you can record your concerts, and then you can document the growth. If you go listen to the, you know, no, I, I doubt anyone has as much time or desire, but to listen to all five of my records back to back, excuse me, I think you'll feel and hear a development there. I don't know what words to use to describe it, but it's definitely different. You know, it sounds different. The compositions sound different. They somewhat sound the same, you know. Sometimes I find myself thinking, "Oh, this sounds a lot like this other tune," but ultimately, I think you just have to not care what people think. And uh, my mom will like this. She sent me something the other day from middle school. She found like an old box of stuff, and she sent. Uh, I don't even know. I don't remember exactly the context of why this all happened, but she, they, she found a sheet of paper where I had written down like goals about myself and that was one of my goals when I was in it had to be seventh or eighth grade I don't know exa know exactly where but just to say to stop caring about what everyone else thought about me and just do my own thing and I thought that was pretty funny to, fu to find that and my mom probably also thinks it's funny and will enjoy if she watches this video she'll uh, enjoy that I mentioned that so that's what sorry that's kind of a long answer to Alex's question but um, it's the truth what can I say uh, just you can't care because if you care, you'll never put anything out. You'll never do it. Oh, here's a follow-up here. In addition, what's your opinion on how to approach releasing your first record at a younger age? For example, I'm thir you're 31. I've released five. Hope those numbers are correct. Yes, you were correct. Also, I'm 31. Yes. What are you stalking me, man? Hey, Danny, how how are you? Have I played with an African band? Not really. I've never had the chance to really play with like a real African band. Like. Uh, I've always really enjoyed West African music. So I'd like to, I'd like to sometime if you play, uh, send me something, maybe I can play over it or something, make a video. That would be fun. 
Um, so the second part of Alex's question was how to approach releasing your first record is um, spend as much money as you can, make it as good as you can, but don't spend all of your money. I know that's kind of contradictory, uh, but I mean, like I always tell people, live to fight another day. Um, you have to not spend everything. So if that means you can do only like a small release, or maybe you want to release a single or an EP first to just get like your presence happening on Spotify and Apple Music and take every dime that comes in from that, maybe a couple hundred bucks that over six months, you know, and uh, if you really push it out there and then take that and put it towards the next thing. Um, obviously, it's probably going to cost that, but that's what I've always done. I've taken every penny that's come in from a project and I always put it towards the next project. Um, I've never taken any money out from these projects. It's always an investment for me, to me. And so starting, get that mindset together that if you want to make records, that's what you have to do. Um, there's not a lot of people giving you advances to make records anymore, unfortunately. I wish it was different. Someday I hope my company, Outside In, can do that, give people some, some advances to make records. But um, as of right now, not so much. Uh, and right now meaning April 2020. Um, <clears throat> so do as much publicity as you can try to lay the groundwork uh, try to connect with people you know that's why I have tried to create a, like a platform community with outside in music and our other imprints we have two other imprints um, that we're working with uh, underneath our kind of umbrella one is next level which is specializing in debut releases like first releases trying to make it affordable to do that first round of publicity um, so where we do that and that's something that's important to me and that's part of part of the ethos of outside in music and just being artist focused and making sure that that stuff gets proliferated forward and then outside in arts is another one where we're you know trying to share uh, projects maybe some that come from other people that maybe don't fit into the next level category but aren't ready to spend um, the big bucks as it were on uh, like you know a publicist and a radio campaign and all of that stuff so um, you know, that's what I'm doing to try to further that cause and try to help people in that way. But um, right now, if you didn't see, I put a video up on YouTube a couple days ago that uh, we're doing a kind of like a white label service for artists that are making stuff. So if you're making stuff during this time and you want to try to get it onto Spotify, off to Apple Music and not just up, up on YouTube and your personal um, social medias, we're trying to do help people get that stuff out get it distributed onto spotify and apple music and all those places so you can watch there's a youtube video that i put up a couple days ago about that so uh, go ahead and find that it just says uh, helping artists during covid19 and uh, that's what we're doing i'm getting attacked by some kind of bug i think they're headed towards this light right here um, but anyway thanks so much for all of you for being here i'm really glad you could be here um, if there's any other questions feel free to drop them in in the next couple of minute or two while we wrap up here. Um, yeah, so definitely check out that video um, of uh, the, the COVID-19 stuff that we're doing with Outside in Music. Um, I'm working on a bunch of stuff. I put out another book recently called Get Set. It's a etude book. If you're looking for some stuff to work on, you can just grab that on my website. Um, there's lots of free stuff on the website too, exercises and things. If you're looking for stuff to, to work on and you're a trombonist, um, we got the white label thing happening with Outside In. I did this cool stream of my warm-up the other day. I'm trying to see what other stuff we can do to stream. Uh, I'm going to do like a streaming, like trading practice session uh, uh, next Thursday around, I think around 
noon Eastern. I'm going to try to do that and see if we can get some of these um, technologies to work better uh, for teaching in kind of real time and, and you guys be able to play along. So I think I got it figured out. So if you want to tune into that, that'll be next Thursday. You can check, you know, I'll post more about these things. But um, glad you found it helpful. Uh, Chingus, appreciate that. Um, let's see, what else? That's it, I think. I think that's it for today. So uh, I appreciate you all being here. Thank you. And uh, we'll be back next Friday around 1.15 Central, uh, 2.15 Eastern or so. I try to make it weekly, try to actually come on on the same time so people can plan for it. Uh, but that's what we'll do. So next week, feel free to send questions in throughout the week, and I'll be happy to uh, organize them to answer them uh, live on the stream. So thanks for joining. And uh, yes, Peter, I agree. Medium bore for life. All right. On that note, I'll see you guys next time.